Chapter Eleven of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recantation. Monckton the next morning did not bear out the hasty opinion I had formed of it overnight. All its timidity was gone with the darkness. It revealed itself now as a sturdy compact little place holding up its head bravely in the midst of an environment which seemed to me inexpressibly bleak and austere it lay among the hills as in a pleat of green coverlid a few tall elms stood about it in which the northeast wind moaned under a grey sky bringing down a constant dribble of yellow leaves the cottages shouldered together in the gloom sheltering between them patches of garden still gay with the flowers of late summer crimson spires of hollyhock and clustered pompoms and the outlandish vivid hues of nasturtium clambering everywhere on the old grey walls as i stood in the porch of the inn preparing for a start a merry tinkling and clattering broke out close beside me and round the corner of the house came a man backing and drawing by the shafts a sort of gypsy's caravan hung about from roof to floorboard with all kinds of tin and basketware at furious odds with the breeze he left the van and returned to the yard for his horse it was a lean and woeful beast it looked at the van with a rebellious eye but suffered itself to be harnessed to the shafts without active resistance this done the man stood slapping his hands into his armpits and smiling affably in my direction a real right nippy mornin quoth he and now he breathed upon his fingers plate rack and me we can't abide the cold he looked affectionately at the horse and then laughed an oily secret laugh that bespoke the covert humorist he was a gypsy without a doubt he was also a dandy in his way for he wore a black velveteen coat of rakish cut a blue neckerchief painfully bright in colour and had silver rings to his ears from under the brim of his hat shining corkscrew curls stuck out all round and i noticed a distinct resemblance between the profile of his dark olive face and that of plate rack who was perhaps a shade the handsomer of the two he accepted a fill from my pouch and we soon got into talk a heartist likely he hazarded but no not in this yere bare country shouldn't wonder now as you're travelling just for your elf i told him what i was doing and how doing it his business instinct woke up immediately why now what odds as you tries a mile or two along o me law tis lucky tis your very own road right through the deverels and on to hatesbury and then round about to but maybe as you won't be going nigh warminster 
i fell in with his suggestion and thereupon we had a brisk but perfectly friendly set to as to terms in the end however i closed with him for a shilling an hour and took my seat on a pile of wool mats just inside the open door at the back of the van where i was snugly sheltered from the wind the gypsy got up in front and plate rack started off at an easy three miles an hour i was not long in making a welcome discovery about the weather from the window of the inn as i sat at breakfast all the world had looked glum out of heart desolate but once out in the open i saw what a complete illusion had been this indoor view of things to the eye even now there was but a flat lane winding between stunted hedgerows the monotonous round of hills and a firmament of driving grey cloud marked here and there by a plover or hovering kestrel yet the prevailing note of the morning was really one of intense cheerfulness while the caravan kept on the march all extraneous music was drowned in the noise made by our cargo the soft clang of the tinware and the rustling tattoo of the baskets and wooden goods but directly the van stopped which it did at every cottage on the way a veritable feu de joie broke in upon us the sheep bells were tolling the larks singing thrushes carolled in the hedgerows the deep voices of threshing mills droned luxuriously among the hills even the sighing of the wind took on a mirthful rollicking note and the little wayside streams with which the district was rife added an incessant clear undertone to all the rest my perch in the doorway of the caravan made an ideal vantage point all downland villages abound in a certain subtle quality which artists call character and these wiltshire deverels seem to possess it in a marked degree they were all very much alike clusters of grey flint cottages with thatched roofs and bright nooks of garden set about with lofty trees and they were all alike in the matter of this peculiar quality an unerring harmony of line and fitness and a sober almost sombre beauty it is easy to use the accepted technical term for a widely recognised condition but unless also the idea can be passed from mind to mind by the vehicle of everyday language it remains but an esoterism i have often tried to get artists to define in plain words what they mean by character in a picture but have never found one who could do it their tribal eloquence invariably fails at this test they will put before you numberless examples of the thing from their own work or point it out to you a dozen times in a morning's ramble but a description of it in exact scientific terms appears to be beyond their ken 
voyaging steadily through these lonely wiltshire lanes to the merry tune of jangling saucepans i seem now to get an inkling of what character really is in nature if not in art there would be surely no scene nor any work of man without it if all things came to their maturity guided only by pristine conditions and unwarped by human intellectual meddling if modern thoroughfares followed the old winding tracks if all vegetation were left to grow or decay where or how circumstances impelled it if in all his building and contriving man worked on the old plan of his forefathers and allowed aboriginal intuitions to dictate the placing and fashioning of every stick and stone then surely the whole face of the earth would be instinct with this quality character is the art of the eternal nature is forever striving towards beautiful form there is neither discord nor puerility in countryside or city street but mistaken human theory has had a hand in it these villages set in the green crevices of the wiltshire downs are all beautiful because they have been built instinctively not a stone has been laid upon another not a beam set in place but it has followed some imperious condition of wind and weather and there is no other source of true inhabitable beauty architects should be humble-minded folk for their whole bent nowadays is a tacit acknowledgment of past transgression a harking back to aboriginal forms upheld by sun and wind and rain the only true house-builders i saw very little of the gypsy during the ride all his time was taking up in attending to his business and mine in looking about me but as we were nearing Hatesbury, he left his seat on the shafts to walk beside the van and i got down to bear him company he was in an unexpectedly silent mood for some time we trudged on together without a word until casting about at random for a subject of talk i happened to hit upon the very motive of his depression what was the matter with the old man at that last cottage i asked him and why was he so angry with the organ-grinder the gypsy came out of his dumb mood with a start he stopped and looked back down the lane listening plate-rack went ahead with his tintinnabulant cargo hark he's a-playin again the damn fool these year foreigners there ain't a bit o understandin in among em now if i were the old gaffer i'd gi' him suthin i'd learn him he spoke with such vehemence that i turned to him with a quick look of wonder his pouchy eyes were brimming with tears gi' us another fill he said savagely striding on why tis like this here sir the old man he had a sick wife 
terrible bad she was and helpless like for years and years she could do naught but lie abed well now the old man he was very fond of her and just to cheer her up d'ye see he used to get the old organ grinder chap to play under her windy but now she been dead these here six weeks and that blame silly organ man he can't be got to see as no one wants no more music all the folks tells him to keep away from the house but tis no use he can't understand no natural language every wednesday morning there he be cutting the old gaffer's heart open again just as the folk has got him round a bit ay i gi him music summat with a pitchfork ent as he'd werry soon learn the meanin o we had caught up with the van now and had almost reached hatesbury where the gypsy and i were to part company he had gone back to his silent mood but at the junction of the roads he found his tongue again he beckoned me mysteriously to the door of his van look ye i wants a word wi ye he said awkwardly as he led me inside the caravan was wonderfully fitted up there were two sleeping berths as in a ship's cabin one on each side the bed linen spotlessly clean under these were lockers with polished brass handles the little windows had muslin blinds tied back with ribbon a linnet swung in a cage overhead the gypsy stared about him for a moment sheepishly rubbing his stubbly chin with the palm of his hand then he dived into one of the lockers and brought out an ancient concertina looky he said again under his breath you seed me blubbin like well twern't the old man's trouble as made me take on so you see my missus she were very fond of music too but lor that were long and long ago and i ain't dare touch it since hatesbury i found was a long straggling village of old houses threddled on the great main road between warminster and salisbury and in itself as silent as the grave every minute or two a motor came screaming through but between these bursts of flying uproar i could detect hardly a sound but the sighing of the wind in the trees this swiftly alternating hubbub and stagnation had a peculiarly disquieting effect and i made haste to get clear of the place turning off into the by-lanes once more about a mile beyond the village i chose my road quite at random as i thought but before the day was out i found myself blessing the invisible kindly elf who i was soon convinced must have guided me thither downland country is full of surprises and that afternoon's wandering route had its surprise at every turn the sky had cleared the larks had charmed away the gloom with their indefatigable singing now the sun had full charge of the world again and was in his brightest fettle 
when i stumbled upon the little river wiley and the old road wiley was but the merest trickle of quiet water fringed with pollard willow and ash and the road but a narrow way almost obliterated here and there by the dense crowding trees years ago the two must have been of some importance in the land for the one still flowed by ruined mills and over dismantled weirs and the other linked up half a dozen villages deep in an eternal slumber now yet once probably teeming with busy life but the new road had been made a little to the northward and the tide of traffic diverted for how great a length of time the process had been going on i found no means of guessing but road and river as i lit upon and kept with them all that sunny autumn afternoon were about equally far gone in green decrepitude the river mused along through its choked weedy channel at so gentle a gait that you could hardly detect a ripple and the road was so hemmed in by the trees and overhanging hedgerows and so thickly strown with fallen leaves that sometimes for a hundred yards together not an inch of its white surface was to be seen you waded ankle-deep in rustling gold and purple now smouldering fiercely in the sunbeams now plunged in the chill blue gloom of unending woods the bare hills closed in to the right and left at every gap i got a view of them either a single steep wall filling the whole arc of sight or curve beyond curve huddling like folded sheep to the horizon but in wiley valley all was an orgy of rich growth and colour dreaming shadow dazzling light upton level codford sharrington stockton wiley village itself from one little nook of oblivion to the other i wandered at a pace more deliberate even than that of the water by my side every yard of the way had its own blithe singer indeed the birds seemed to have the lanes and village streets entirely to themselves for i met no more than half a dozen people all afternoon in upton lovell a pair of foxhound pups came gambling about me as if they had seen no human creature for days in sherrington i saw one face at a window and farther on a man and woman misdirected me though with much voluble good will even when at sunset i reached the inn at stockton i saw no one but the landlord who brought me provender into the little silent tap-room and at once beat a retreat there i sat eating in solitude the while the landlord in his invisible fastness whistled a slow mournful tune without a break and he was still whistling a voice and nothing more when i left the inn and took up the thread of my journey again throughout the whole afternoon i met only three vehicles one of them was a baker's cart going the opposite way 
and therefore useless to me in both of the others i might have ridden had i chosen but in each case an obstacle presented itself the first was a common rough field cart it turned into the lane behind me and i waited for it to come up rather liking the look of the patriarchal old man who drove it though the cart was clotted over inches thick in mire but i let it go by i was ready to claim the traveller's prerogative from thomas mangold codford or john wurzel wiley but the legend on this cart struck me dumb for the moment the right reverend the lord bishop of worcester stockton wiltshire i drew back into the hedgerow and all but clawed off my cap as the cart rumbled off i even found myself seriously considering whether that was only a lesser dignitary driving or whether it was the lord bishop himself the third vehicle was a pony chaise a wide low old-fashioned chaise with a mouse-coloured pony in its yellow shafts the pony had a bell to its collar but for this i should have heard nothing of its approach behind me over the thick carpet of fallen leaves as it happened i caught the first far-off tinkle of the bell and turning watched the chaise as it came down the long sun-barred avenue between the oakwood and the willows of wiley by that time the wind had died down to the merest breath and the earth had temporarily regained the warm touch of summer i was hot and tired or at least lazy the front seat in the chaise was vacant i could have taken it with all the pleasure in life but one glance at the young couple who sat on the rear seat stopped me on the eve of a blunder the girl was driving a pretty girl with a rosy child's face and flaxen curls under a black mushroom hat and i decided that she had just fetched the boy or rather youth from the railway station she was the parson's daughter without a doubt and he possibly a cousin but certainly going to be a sweetheart before long i made out that they had not seen each other for years and that this drive home to the vicarage together was for both a mingled revelation delight and embarrassment with flushed joyous faces they were dipping eagerly into this their earliest feast of life like children at a basket of cherries all this i found out in the few seconds that the chaise took to amble by and when they had passed i trudged on at a decent interval in their rear noting how the toadstool hat and the white panama leaned together continually and already deep in a conjecture of their history for the years to come but a little way onward the chaise stopped both young faces looked back and i guessed what was going to happen the whispered consultation ceased as i came up 
with a courtesy that he must have inherited from his great-grandfather at the very latest the boy got out of the chaise and asked whether they could help me on the road i had my excuses worded and ready for him but could not resist a moment's hesitancy in reply there before my eyes was the prettiest conflict between duty and inclination the last thing in the world they wanted just then was a third in their company each looked at me as though life itself depended on what i was going to say but i set them free at last and the look of glad relief on both young faces as they drove off again was a pleasure that stayed with me for many an after mile End of chapter 11